Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, Happy New Year, and welcome to this Best of Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Carmen will be back in on Monday. I'm her producer, Paul Perot. And all this week, we've been enjoying some of the best conversations Carmen had in 2020. As you often hear Carmen say, her goal is to help you apply the mind of Christ to the issues of the day. And in 2020, there were a lot of issues that came up. One was our problem of racial disharmony in this country. Carmen had numerous conversations, some you've heard already this week if you've been listening each day. First up today, we want to go back to a conversation that Carmen had this past summer with Pastor Erwin Ince. He's the author of The Beautiful Community. Pastor Ince serves in D.C. in a multiracial church, and his purpose in leading his congregation is to live out the gospel imperative to pursue the beautiful community. Unity in diversity across lines of difference. This goal, he argues, is rooted in reflecting the beautiful community of our triune God. His book calls us into creating beautiful communities and providing tools for that pursuit. That conversation comes your way as this Best of Mornings with Carmen continues here on Faith Radio. Uh, he's a pastor. He's now also an author. The book is The Beautiful Community, Unity, Diversity, and the Church at Its Best. Erwin, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much, Carmen. It's a pleasure to uh, to be joining you this morning. It is, uh, it's a joy to, uh, to have the privilege of speaking with you. Um, I am among those who were celebrating from a distance uh, your service as the moderator of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church of America, um, Roy Taylor's a, a good you. friend, and I'm just, uh, uh, just, I'm just thrilled to, uh, I'm, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah. it's a grace, it's a grace. That's that's so great, that's so great. I I love Roy Taylor, <laughs> wonderful brother. <laughs> so let's um let's do this. Cast the vision for us of uh of the church as the beautiful community, because I think that until we can. Until we can grasp it in our mind's eye, it's really hard to imagine that we're going to do the hard work of living it out. Right. Great. Yes. And the vision for the beautiful community, unity and diversity uh, for God's people is rooted in what it means for us to be the image of God. 
so the, the, the God that we worship is himself beautiful community. He is uni unity in diversity, diversity in unity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship the triune God of glory and grace. And that has implications for what, what the Lord means when he says in Genesis, let us make man in our image according to uh, our likeness. And, uh, and so human destiny was to be in beautiful community. And so it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be shocking to us when we find um, Revelation 5 and 7 and 21 talking about the nations, um, every tribe and tongue and people um, and nation uh, worshiping the Lamb and um, and the tree of life in, in Revelation 21 and 22 and the in the new, the holy city, whose leaves are for the healing of the nations, and so uh, this was where this is where God is taking humanity anyway, and the question becomes: Are are we as His people going to be uh, embracing and pursuing this kind of kingdom mission as a witness uh, to the world? And one more thing: I, I'll, I am a pastor, so I go. You're fine. Answers. So, um, the, the the this and this this thread it it runs through the scripture. So even after our fall into sin, right, uh, we have the division of humanity in, in by because of our rebellion at Babel. Right, God comes down in in judgment and in mercy. And he confuses our language. And he, uh, it says in Genesis 11, from there the Lord dispersed them over the, over the face of the earth. But then you get the promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, which is a promise of blessing and reunion when he says um, uh, 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 that in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is Genesis 12. All those families of the earth I just dispersed because of their sinful rebellion. I'm going to bring them back in you, Abram, in your descendant, in your seed, whom we know is Jesus Christ. And so when the Lord in his high priestly prayer in John 17, when he begins praying for um, for his church, he, he prays for his disciples who follow him in his earthly ministry. And then in verse 20, he begins to pray. He says, for those who will believe in me through their word, right, through that apostolic word through, for us, and over and over again, that they may be one, Father, as you and I are one, I and them, you and me, they may become perfectly one so that the world may believe that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And what Jesus is, is referencing there in his prayer to the Father is, is not some new idea, but what he has on his mind is that great confession of faith, the, the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? He's praying that his people would have that same oneness that he shares with the Father. And so this is, this is God's plan. It's not ours. And the question is, are we on board with his plan? So long answer, but there you go. No, that's uh, it's it, as you're talking. First of all, um, we have 
had conversations here with D.A. Horton about his book, Intentional mm -hmm. Kingdom, Ethnicity, uh -huh. and a Divided World. Um, we just talked with uh, Josh Laxton from uh, the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton um, on this thing that he wrote about the convergence of the Missio Dei and the Imago Dei. Um, and so I'm just saying that, like, God, God is lifting up this, uh, this truth, this message, this vision yeah. um, in a number yeah. of places and through a number of voices. And I got to tell you, when I see that happening, when I see God, mm -hmm. like, stirring the hearts and minds of uh, you know, of people from different uh, spheres of influence within the Christian church, and they yeah. are literally reading off the same Holy Spirit page. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I just say to myself, okay, God is doing something here. Yeah. We must we must pay attention. Um, I I share your divine dissatisfaction mm -hmm. with, uh, <laughs> with the brokenness uh, that is in evidence. I witness it. I experience it um, among mm -hmm. believers today. And so— yeah. um, it it is not reflective of who God is, and it's not reflective right. of godliness. Um, right. So for you, this so much of this is an outgrowth of um, the fullness of the expression of what I would point to as covenant theology. Um, I am mm -hmm. reading. I am reading you as a student of covenant theology. Am I reading you right? You you are yes <laughs> yes you are reading me one hundred percent rightly. I I. I... I think this is the. I say that this is the. This pursuit is a natural outworking of a rich covenantal theological framework and commitment. That that this is what we pursue if we're committed to this as the as the uh, our understanding of the unfolding of the story of Scripture. Yeah. So for those um, who might be new to that language, um, unpack for them what covenant theology sure. is, so that they yeah. understand how this is a natural outworking of it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. The the Lord, God, God relates to us by way of covenant. This is, and this is not contract. <laughs> this is uh, about a, a covenantal commitment out of a love, right, that he has for his creation and for his creatures. And so this, so we are, um, now, we, our only hope is, is, is rooted in this truth. Um, that there is a covenant of grace, right? That uh, that we are rebellious. That we we are we owe God by the very fact that we are created by Him. We owe Him fidelity and uh, and love and um, and obedience, and we don't give it to Him. But God is not content to leave us in that uh, in that condition, uh, and so uh, He brings us to Himself, adopts us into His family. Um, sh by sheer grace, right, um, through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is a covenantal commitment, and it has always been. So when he—I I spoke about Abraham earlier, the call of Abraham in the end of Genesis 11 and Genesis chapter 12. Abraham wasn't thinking about the Lord. Abraham wasn't out seeking for, uh, for God. God decided that he was going to redeem and renew. And so he called Abram to himself. And he made a covenant promise with Abraham. And, and we see this begin to take shape and form. This covenant with Abraham follows the covenant God made with Noah, where he says he's, he's no longer going to destroy the earth by means uh, of a flood. He won't do that um, again. And he gave the covenant sign of the, of the rainbow. And then he calls Abraham, gives Abraham a covenant sign of circumcision. Um, and then we see the co covenant continue 
to unfold through Moses um, in the deliverance of the people of Israel in, in Exodus, and then it continues to expand through through David when he promises David he's going to have a son on the throne uh, forever. And all of these covenant of signs and commitments they point to the Lord Jesus, right? Um, and and he becomes comes the focal point uh, of this of this covenantal commitment that the Lord has. And so, uh, and, and once Christ comes, right, and he, right, we hear the Lord do uh, say things like, again, John 17, Father, I've completed the work you gave me to do, right? I did not come to do my will. I came to do the will of him who sent me, right? And then from there, you see this, the expansion um, of, of peoples that God draws to himself through faith in Jesus Christ. This is all an outworking of God's um, covenantal commitment to renew, to redeem um, a people for himself, and even to redeem the entire cosmos for his glory. I am talking with Pastor Erwin Entz. We are talking about his new book, The Beautiful Community. Uh, we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. producer Paul tells me we actually have books to give away. So if you've been oh, listening great. to this, you've been furiously taking notes and you have been uh, scavenging around the internet looking for Irwin Entz. First of all, Irwin and Entz <laughs> both start with an I. Uh, okay. So first of all, let me just ask this. If the book had a soundtrack, what would the <sighs> song, what would like the, the lead off song be? Oh my what would the title. What would the title track be? <laughs> Yes, that's a great question. Now, this is going to be my own preferences here. Um, two two things that take me. Um, so one, um, I, I mentioned in the book, my son, um, Nabil, whose stage name is So Chill. Uh, he's a he's a musician and an artist, and he he wrote a uh, album. He cre- uh, well, this is several years ago, his sophomore year in college is I call it his first major project called I Heard God Laughing. And he has this um, this poem called The Beloved's Intro in, in his opening song. And he talks, it's a, it's a poem about um, beauty and simplicity as he's, you know, imagines himself gazing into the night, night sky. So that song is always on my mind as I think about beautiful community. It speaks about our desire for beauty, the frustration of attaining it, um, and then I'm a I'm a I'm a jazz enthusiast. So um, certain uh, certain songs, particularly John Coltrane. So certain um, songs of his um, kind of put me in the frame of mind that so that that reflects a sense of joy at the at the creative genius <laughs> of God in giving us things like music. And so uh, so he has this song, Afro Brew, which is my favorite one uh, of his that that I listen to uh, at least once once a week. Um, and so and so, yeah, so those are some of the those are some of the songs that that uh, that come to my mind as I think about um, beautiful community. There's a there's a there's another there's a hymn um as well that i always uh i will i play for um one 
my class or whenever I have an opportunity. You know, in Christ, there is no east or west. And um, the one of the pastors at my church, uh, Joel Littlepage, and uh, his wife, Melissa, they're also musicians. And he they recast that um, that hymn to a new tune, and they added a chorus that says, Join hands then, members of the faith, whatever your race may be, who serves my father as his child is surely kin to me. And so mm-hmm. this is a song about, rec- a hymn about reconciliation and, you know, reunion and renewal. Um, and so anyway, those are, those are, those are a few, you know, young, as, as again, I'd say I'm a pastor. So you ask me a question, I give you one thing, I'll give you five. No, it's good. It's good. Now you get, see, you gave me, you gave me all of the music necessary to uh, create an entire service around it. Right. That's, that's how this is supposed to work. It's three, three hymns, right? Three so hymns, there you go. for, um, for listeners who right now are trying to find uh, So Chill on SoundCloud, you can uh, you yeah. can actually check out I Heard God Laughing. You just need to know that So Chill is spelled as if the word so is French, S-E-A-U-X, So Chill. Right. Um, all right, uh, so I would add to the soundtrack, now this will give away, like, ugh, this is it's probably just, like, horribly revealing about um, about <laughs> my musical taste. <laughs> Keith Green has this chorus, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. Mm. Uh, when, mm. whenever, whenever your eyes are on this child, your yeah. grace abounds to me. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so for me, the, the connection between this beauty, how beautiful God is as father, yeah. son, and Holy spirit, how fully unified God is in his own diversity, like how this community exists yeah. among, among the Trinity. And it's yeah. the beauty of the father's face. It's the beauty of the face mm-hmm. of the son. It's the beauty of the face of the spirit. Mm-hmm. All of that together, when I'm focused on him and I can catch a glimpse of that, man, that is grace. Yes. That yes. is yes. grace. Yeah. So that's Absolutely. what you're talking about us accessing, yes. not only individually, but then recognizing Look. God has that same face turned toward every other yes. person. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yes. That, yeah. that, and that that adds that ref, that that reflects the glory of God to this world, right? Amen. That 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 aspect, that type of unity and diversity, um, again, it's God's creative genius. He's the one who who made this diversity, right? He he did it, and he did it on purpose um, because we were created to reflect His glory to the creation, right? Amen. All right. I just love it. I hope that there is opportunity yeah. in the future for you and I to visit again. Um, love to meet Absolutely. you in person one day. Uh, let's, uh, let's give uh, let's give a shout out to what you guys are doing um, at, uh, in D.C. Do we, you want me, you want me yeah. to send people to um, Grace D.C. Network or you want me to send them to Grace D.C. Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission? Yes, to the, the institute would be the preference. Awesome. So gracedc.institute would be the place to go. There you go. If you want to uh, see how it's done and learn how to do it, gracedc.institute. The book is The Beautiful Community. Pastor Irwin Entz Jr. is the author. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Have a great day. It's a pleasure. You too. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
Again, good morning and happy new year. Thanks for listening to the special Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot, Carmen's producer. I want to ask you a couple of questions. First, who do you think you are? Okay, secondly, who does God say you are? Now, assuming you answered each question differently, the next question is, who do you believe about yourself, you or God? I'm going to assume you said God, but do you? And for that matter, who does God really say you are? Well, coming up in about five minutes, we're going to listen to Carmen's conversation this past year with Pastor Chip Ingram. You hear Pastor Chip on Living on the Edge every weekday morning at 5.30 Central, right before Mornings with Carmen, as well as 11 a.m. Central each weekday. Earlier this year, he released his new book called Discover Your True Self, how to silence the lies of your past and actually experience who God says you are. It led to a great conversation, which we're going to get to shortly on this Best of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. As you're flipping the calendar, it's the perfect time to think through your goals and desires for your family. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. What do you want to change in your family in the coming year? Do you need to rearrange your schedule in order to have weekly one-on-one time with your teen? Or maybe it's time to get some outside help for your family. Take a moment today to think through the tangible, positive steps that you can take in the coming year. Then sit down with your kids and ask them what changes they'd like to make in the family dynamic. You might be surprised by their response. Here's your chance. Be intentional. Get a fresh start. Parenting teens isn't for the faint of heart, which is why moms and dads turn to parenting expert Mark Gregston for help. Learn about Mark's upcoming events and check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Welcome back. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Chip Ingram. He really needs no introduction for most of you. You listen here on the Faith Radio Network on a regular basis to Living on the Edge. For those of you uh, to whom Chip is new, you will absolutely thoroughly enjoy his biblical teaching and insights, and you can find him at livingontheedge.com. Chip, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It is great to be with you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. It's wonderful to have you. We're going to talk today specifically about your brand new book, uh, Discover Your True Self, How to Silence the Lies of the Past and Actually Experience Who God Says You Are. I love that this is an extended exposition and exploration of the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. So let's just start there. Is this like it is for me? Is this just one of your favorite go-to portions of Scripture? It is, and it's one I, I would say to people that it was took me a very long time to figure out how to teach it. You can go through seminary or Bible school, and you can say, oh, yes, we have these spiritual blessings, and then it's filled with this theology, chosen, adopted, predestined, inheritance, sealed with the Spirit. And I think sometimes it just gets to be, well, I'm glad all those things are true, but it was for years and years and years I prayed, Lord, how do we flip those around? What needs, what are the deepest needs of the human heart that those are the answers to? That I don't think you wrote those things so that we could know this is the definition of redemption. Or 
and it came through some really challenging experiences. My wife and I both come from parents that really loved us, but came from a different era. And our both our fathers um, became alcoholics, and our family of origins were pretty warped. And so she felt like she never measured up and was really damaged in some ways. And I got it a little bit different way as my my dad, especially, it was like, no matter what you did, the bar then changed. Well, you know, that's good that you went two for four at baseball, but, you know, the reason you messed up or you got four A's and a B, let's talk about that B. So I grew up in a world where you never measured up. And so you just worked and worked and worked and worked. And she grew up in a world where she withdrew and looked in the mirror and felt like she was an ugly, unworthy, unlovable person. And the book of Ephesians, when we begin to grasp, this is who God says you are, you know, that very famous song, You Say, mm-hmm. by Lauren Daigle. Well, long before that was written or sung, we went on this 25-year journey of beginning to let it soak from my head to my heart and together, this is what God says. So this book's been about 30 years in the making um, because it's really been worked out in our life. And it has really been the most transformative thing that uh, I've ever had the privilege of going into training and learning and getting it from my head to my heart. Well, in the deeper starts with something that may seem kind of surfacey, and that's a conversation about mirrors and the power yes. of mirrors. But these kinds of mirrors, they penetrate pretty deep if we really look. We all have uh, mirrors, and I, I love uh, one psychologist made this interesting point. He said, we are not who we think we are. We are not who other people think we are. He said, we are what we think other people think we are. And, you know, it's a fallen world, so our, all of our mirrors are cracked. Right? Sin has entered the world. But no one grew up with Jesus being their father, right? Or Mary being their mother. Now, Mary wasn't perfect. But my point is, everyone's family of origin, we had imperfect parents, and no matter how hard they tried, we all grew up with mirrors And in all the research of, you know, whether you're firstborn or secondborn or thirdborn, or um, there's just all kind of things that we have absorbed that have told us you're only acceptable if, or you're acceptable if you're because, or you're loved when you do these things and you're not loved if you don't, or if you are taller or shorter. And then you multiply that mirror with the mirror of, of media and culture. I mean, we're bombarded. The whole point of advertisement is that you are not okay until you have wider tooth by this brand. You don't measure up if you wear a kind of watch that people don't know or a handbag where they know the label. Or are you wearing Walmart jeans instead of diesels? What's wrong with you? <laughs> In other words, we're, the car you drive tells everyone who you are. So did your kids get into this school or that school? I mean, we are bombarded every moment of every day with mirrors. And it's like going into one of those fun houses. And so you get a snapshot of this mirror and it says you're too fat. This one says you're too short. This says you're too skinny. And what we need is God's mirror. We need to see ourselves through God's eyes that is so radically different that says, We are loved and valued and important uh, just for who we are. We're made in his image, that we're the right height, that how we process information, our personalities, 
are sovereignly made by the eternal king of the world because he has a purpose for us that only we can fulfill. And so it really gets down, uh, Carmen, to loving ourselves, not in unhealthy, narcissistic ways, but loving ourselves in appropriate ways. You know, like that great second command, love your neighbor as yourself. I think a lot of people really don't love themselves very much. I love that, Chip. I remember um, when I was a kid, one of the things that my mom encouraged us to literally do, particularly when we were having one of those you know, those boys down the street aren't saying the nicest things or I haven't been included with that group of girls or whatever. And my mom would take us into the bathroom and she would say, now just stand there and talk to yourself Uh, for 67. Affirm what you know God says about you. And you had to come up with a full minute's worth of this. So um, there are positive things we can learn to say about ourselves, you know, and you stand there in tears at some point because you recognize that You'd forgotten that you're a child of God. You'd forgotten that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You'd forgotten that before the foundations of the earth, God saw you, knit you together in your mother's womb on purpose and for a purpose, made in his very image, redeemed. I mean, on and on and on. Like, right, you can come up now as an adult with 60 seconds worth of things to say. But as a kid, it's hard, particularly when, you know, you're feeling that reflection of the world upon you that says, you know, you weren't worth inviting whatever to the kickball game in the cul-de-sac. Okay. Hey, we have to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Chip Ingram. We are talking about his brand new book, Discover Your True Self, How to Silence the Lies of the Past and Actually Experience Who God Says You Are. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Chip Ingram. You know him from Living on the Edge. We're talking today about Chip's new book, Discover Your True Self, How to Silence the Lies of the Past and Actually Experience Who God Says You Are. Chip, let's um, let's deal with, um, you know, some of the lies and then the answers of who we really are. So we might be tempted to believe the lie of rejection, but in reality, we are wanted. Can you walk us through some of the lies that are then answered by the truth of who we are as you explore Ephesians 1 through 3? For those who love to study the Bible, you know, I studied the entire book and then I break it all down and chapter by chapter or then paragraph by paragraph. And then as you go through chapter one, the thesis is that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. And then it begins to outline these. And each one of them, when you flip it over, when you see this is who you are, there is a corresponding lie of the world. So, for example, we we learned that all of us struggle with rejection. And so I do a little chapter to help people understand how that works. But God says, I want you. I mean, everyone's been on a sandlot or in a music group or something where they say, we want you on our team. And God says, I want you. You're wanted. So the lie of rejection is other people may reject us, but when you understand that God has it, and it's not if or because, uh, that makes a huge difference. And he not just chose us, but he chose us to be adopted. And so you have all the privileges of a family. Everything that in the family of God, just I tell the story of a friend actually who was sort of one of those last kids adopted out of an orphanage. And he kind of learned to look after himself most of the time. And he, he would hoard food in his room. And he was adopted by this great Christian family. And just how deep the lies of rejection, he didn't measure up. People kept coming and all the cute kids and all the babies. And pretty soon, you know, he's eight or nine years old and nobody wants him. 
And when he got into that Christian family, he had a nice room and they showed him the refrigerator. And for days and weeks, they would come in and he'd be sleeping on the floor instead of his bed. And they would go through the closet and he would have stuff that he'd taken out of the refrigerator that he was hiding. And as they began to help him, he didn't feel worthy to sleep on a bed. And he couldn't believe that someone would provide food in a refrigerator you could have any time. And I think it's a parallel, uh, Carmen, of a lot of people who these things are true of us. We're chosen, we're adopted, but we can live like an orphan, even though we're sons and daughters of the King of Kings. For example, too, he goes on and talks about we're redeemed. That's the lie of, of insignificance. You don't matter. You're nothing. And everything is valued by how much it costs. And redemption is we were purchased for God by the blood of Christ. So basically, we go through and talk about being wanted, valuable, secure, overcoming the lie of fear. You're competent. That's one of those deep chapters we talk about overcoming the lie of shame, which is paramount in our culture. So that's kind of the flow of the book. Each one we take what I would say some of the most devastating issues we all face, shame, guilt, fear, rejection. And then what we do is we unpack a doctrine that's clear in a way that you get it in sort of everyday language. This is how God sees you. You are wanted, valuable, secure, competent, beautiful, uh, and you have an amazing purpose. So when we come to the end of a chapter, you offer these excellent questions for reflection and discussion and in that chapter on the conversation about about shame, there's this really poignant question, and I think that it is, it's piercing when I think about it. If the gospel is God's antidote to shame and has the power to radically change lives, why are so many Christians still living in shame? We could ask that question about almost any one of these lies that we continue to believe and continue to live in instead of living in in the fullness of who God has called us to be and says we are. But if the gospel is God's antidote antidote to any of these uh, things on the list, then why, as Christians, are we still living in the lie? That is a super perceptive question. And uh, what I've been doing for over 30 years is being a pastor. And so I, I pastor people in small rural communities and in really big cities and in churches that are tiny, and churches that have thousands of people. And afterwards, uh, rather than going to the back, I've always stayed up front and just people come up and share and pray with them. And, and there's a correlation that I think I'll get to answering your questions is I'm going through divorce. I have an eating disorder. Um, I'm hooked on pornography. The shame, this is what happened. Uh, I was um, involved in a relationship, and I'm so all those kind of things. The next thing I ask people with my arm around and praying with them and very tenderly, especially when they're stuck, I'll ask them, would you help me? Tell me a little bit about your relationship with God's word and tell me a little bit about your relationship with God's people. And inevitably there's this super high correlation. Well, I don't really read the Bible and, um, you know, I come to church now and then and as a man or a woman thinks in your heart, so you become. Uh, you know, at the end of each of these chapters, there's these cards I give people where we write out the lie that they believe with a stop sign at the bottom. My wife and I did these for two years. And then you flip over the card and you read the truth. And then there's a core passage. 
And what I would say, Carmen, is we know that Bible engagement is down. Christians aren't reading the scriptures. And if you fill your mind with the mirrors of the world, and whether that's binging on Netflix or, you know, watching horrific things on the news all the time, and and please don't hear, hide your head in the sand. But what I'm saying is we are the product of our thought life. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the scripture talks about don't be conformed to this world. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I think we are Christians who have a treasure of all that God has prepared for us. We already possess it. But I think there will be millions of Christians that go to heaven and will realize these storehouses that were completely untapped. And we lived lives of guilt and shame and fear. And God says, you know, I had all the answers to those but you didn't even know that you possessed them and you never learned how to appropriate them. You know, Mm. you can have a vial that would cure a disease, but if you don't swallow it, it doesn't do you any good. And that was my dream in writing this book, honestly, was uh, my my wife and I love God, but it was until we began to renew our minds. We, We sat on the couch of our living room shortly after we were married, after we went to counseling, because our marriage wasn't working and our life wasn't working and we love God and we were in the Bible. And I went to a great Christian counselor who helped us see, you need to identify the lies, you need to know the truth, and you need to renew your mind. And we would read these cards over the truth of this book for two years every morning. And then on our bedstand, we would have these cards. And little by little by little, I-, I watched my wife go from this person who didn't even like herself to like this flower unfolding. And then she began to do that with my daughter. And then we began to teach these things for years. And we watched people stuck in pornography who tried everything and people that had sexual addictions. And and there's no quick fix. There's no magic pills. But as they renewed their mind and realized, God doesn't see you as shameful. We were in seminary and my wife shared a a little bit of her background. And it's too long to go into now, but it, it was very, very painful. You know, she had a fellow seminary student turn to her and say, oh, I didn't realize they let people like you in seminary. Mm. And so she kind of hid the fact that she had been a, a, she married early to get out of a very bad home. When she was pregnant with twins, her husband, unknown to her, had been having an affair for over a year, was selling drugs, and he left. And so she gave birth to two kids, no money no support, and a boss shared Christ with her. I met her two and a half years later as she had grown in Christ, but she hid that. We Mm -hmm. we were in churches. She didn't want to tell anybody she'd been through a divorce, even though it was a biblical divorce. And I'll never forget meeting with a, a wise mentor who walked us through a process who said, Teresa, you have no idea. Don't you understand that God has a mantle and you're a trophy of his grace? He's redeemed you. You have to tell your story. And we ended up going from a part of the Bible Belt to a place called Santa Cruz, which is one of the weirdest, most progressive, (laughs) wildest places on earth. They think San Francisco is too liberal. And um, satanic bookstores, a bizarre place. But we fit because they were kind of weird, needy people. And I'll never forget, she, she decided the first thing we would do the first week at the church is that night she shared her testimony. I mean, the whole, this is where I've been. This is what God did. This is my past. And I was the new pastor, which was interesting. So people wanted to get to know me. 
And that night, and this is not an exaggeration, 50 women lined up to Amen. talk with her personally. Amen. Of course and, they did. Um, so people don't have to live that way, Carmen, but so many of them do. And part of it is embarrassment. And mm-hmm. part of our journey in this book is to help people understand that doesn't have to be that way. Friends, if you've been hearing this and you're saying to yourself, I need that. I, I want to live uh, free of the lies I have been believing, and I want to really experience who God says I am. Uh, let me just commend to you Chip Ingram's new book, Discover Your True Self, and check out what he's doing at livingontheedge.com. We'll be right back. This is amazing Well, again, I'm Paul Perot, and this is the best of mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio for this New Year's Day. I hope you enjoyed that last conversation Carmen had with Chip Ingram about his book, Discover Your True Self. So often we believe lies about ourselves, or sometimes we look inside ourselves too deeply that we get lost as to who we really are. It makes sense to go to the one who made us and knows us perfectly to understand who we really are. Now, interestingly, the pursuit of self in the modern era has taken a dark turn into what some call expressive individualism. While some think the movement started recently, the reality is it has roots that go back almost 300 years. Carmen will be back in on Monday, and when she's back, among her guests will be Carl Truman, who just this past year released a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. He addresses the origins and rise of the sexual revolution and expressive individualism and how to best understand this ever-changing quest for identity. Remember that all of Carmen's shows are available as podcasts on MyFaithRadio.com. In fact, why not subscribe to the podcast so that if you miss a show, you can easily go back and listen to it. Plus, remember, you can share the podcast easily from both our website, MyFaithRadio.com, as well as from the newly updated Faith Radio app. Stay with us. Another hour of Mornings with Carmen is straight ahead for this New Year's Day here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.